Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Noonan First United Methodist Church. We have a couple of quick announcements before we get into this week's sermon. First, we are continuing to do our part in preventing the spread of the coronavirus by not having any on-campus church activities or worship services. But don't forget to find us online at our website, Facebook, Instagram, and our Sunday services on YouTube. All North Georgia United Methodist Churches have been asked by the bishop and cabinet to keep meeting remotely through the end of the month of April. They will be issuing further instructions on April 27th, so we'll let you know our plans as soon as we receive their updated guidelines. We so appreciate your patience through this weird time and trust us, no one is more ready to get back to normal than we are. Finally, I'm going to give it over to Robert Smith, the chairperson of our Staff Parish Relations Committee, with a quick update on clergy announcements. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll hopefully see you very soon. Good morning. My name is Robert Smith, and I'm the chairperson of our Staff Parish Relations Committee here at Noonan First United Methodist Church. Ministers in the United Methodist Church are itinerant preachers assigned to their post on a year-to-year basis. Each year at this time, the bishop, in consultation with the district superintendents, makes staffing decisions based on the needs of the local congregations. I am pleased to inform you that Charles Robinson has been reappointed to serve us here at Noonan First United Methodist Church for the coming year. Both Maria Bowers Gardner and Vince McLothan Eller will be moving on to new posts. Due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, their moves will be made at staggered times. Vince will begin serving his new post at the beginning of July, and Maria will move on to her new post at the beginning of September. We have been appointed a new associate minister who will begin his time with us here the 1st of July. Please be in prayer for Maria and Vince and all of the other ministers who have served us here at Noonan First over the years as they continue their ministry in the North Georgia Conference. We have two passages of scripture for this Sunday in the Easter season. The first is an epistle lesson from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And our gospel reading for this day actually picking up where we left off last Sunday, John chapter 20, beginning with verse 19. 
when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt. But believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life. In his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I began last week by telling you about a woman from my first church who was one of the greatest skeptics I had ever met. She never believed, not till her dying day, that a human being had ever set foot on the surface of the moon. We had many conversations, this woman and I, but Her skepticism came out especially when she talked about that moon landing. How about you? Who are the skeptics in your life? Hopefully not when you look in your mirror, though we all have those days and those times. But are there persons in your life that you would put on your top five list of skeptics, people who doubt most everything? You have to show them. You have to prove it to them. Skeptics, they're everywhere and and sometimes... They are us. The old saying goes something like this, believe only half of what you hear, half of what you see, and none of what you hear. Why is it that makes folks skeptical? Realizing that skepticism is within all of us to some varying degree. Perhaps our sources are tainted. We don't believe the message because we have doubts about the messenger. Then again, maybe the skepticism has as its source not the messenger, but the message. The news is too good to believe, so we don't. Or the news is too difficult to believe, so we choose not to. Often the reaction, the first reaction to bad news is denial. Maybe we've heard of the death of one we loved and cared for, and we want to say, I don't believe it. Surely there must have been a mistake. He must have been out of town. She was supposed to be somewhere else. Why would you tease me about something like this? 
The word skepticism is often preceded by an adjective, the word healthy. Certainly it pays in some ways to have a healthy skepticism to protect ourselves against con artists and rip-off folks and swindlers, some even in the name of religion, for their own gain. We need a healthy skepticism so that folks are not always taking advantage of us. But at what point on the scale does a healthy skepticism become ill or sick, unhealthy? Have we come too far when we reach the point where we don't trust anybody and we don't believe anything that we hear, especially something new? Walls of suspicion, fear and doubt, a roof over our head made out of those kind of things and we just want to block it all out. We're skeptical about so many things. It's true, isn't it? But it's also true that some of the greatest intellects in human history have been skeptics, and that's where their research, that's where their search for knowledge began. And it's also true that some skeptics are among the most miserable folks alive anywhere. Healthy skepticism sometimes, but not always. Our gospel lesson for this day a story that we, most all of us, are familiar with and have heard hundreds of times, a story of doubting and believing, picks up where we left off last week from John 20, 1 through 18, Mary Magdalene, Peter, and the beloved disciple and the resurrection Sunday morning, so glorious. And then we pick up with verse 19. We're thinking back to last week to kind of catch us up and to hook these two stories together because they are together in John's gospel in this 20th chapter. You recall what happened early on that Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and when she realized that the stone had been rolled away, she ran and found Simon Peter and one of the other disciples, probably the beloved disciple, most likely John conveying to them the false message that the body of Jesus had been taken, had been placed somewhere else. So running to the tomb, Peter and John themselves look around, and they come to their own conclusions. Peter runs in first and looks around, but John, standing on the outside, looks in, and he comes to believe first. But Mary stood outside the tomb that morning, crying when she first got there. And she saw the two angels, and they asked her why she was weeping, and, and she explained. Turning from the gravesite, she nearly bumped into a man that she assumed to be the caretaker, the gardener of the cemetery, the one who was watching over things. She inquired of him as to the whereabouts of Jesus' body. And the man said to her, Mary. And she replied, Teacher. In the sound of his voice, in the calling of her name, she knew it was her Lord. It was Jesus. And Mary quickly spread the word that she had seen him. Then our gospel lesson for today begins with this phrase. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were because they were afraid of the Jewish religious leadership at the time, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he showed them his hands and his side. And they were glad when they saw the Lord, according to the gospel writer. That must have been an understatement, hard to convey in our 
language, how excited they must have been. Jesus said again to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And he breathed on them. The word breath and wind and spirit are often connected in Scripture. He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit as I have been sent, so I will send you. Now on this particular evening, Thomas, one of the twelve, sometimes called a twin, was not with them, not with the other apostles. So when they saw Thomas again, they could not contain themselves. We've seen the Lord, they said. Again, their their excitement just bubbling over. Thomas, who subscribed to the motto, believe none of what you hear and half of what you see, responded in the predictable fashion. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. So Thomas, called the twin in Greek Didymus, became doubting Thomas. Was his skepticism healthy? Now in the spirit of full disclosure, there are other places in the scripture where Thomas comes across as very courageous. But right now in this story, skepticism, healthy or not. One week and one day later, the apostles were in the house again. This time Thomas was with them. The doors were shut, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then looking directly at Thomas, he said, Put your fingers here and and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but believing. Thomas responded with a confession of faith, could not contain himself, My Lord and my God. Whether he just saw the marks on Jesus, or if he actually touched them, we were not told. But he was convinced. Thomas saw with his physical eyes, and what he saw led him to faith, led him to belief. But there's another kind of seeing that does not create faith, but results from it. An example of this kind of seeing can be found in the resurrection account from John's Gospel, our story from last week. And I want us to review that account again briefly, this time through the words of Peter Marshall. And some of you may remember one of the great preachers of the early and mid-20th century. His wife, Catherine Marshall, was quite the author and proclaimer of the faith as well. But Peter Marshall telling the story in his words, John and Peter, as they went into the grave in the garden that Easter morning, did not know what to think until they saw what was inside the tomb and then they believe the inside of the tomb revealed something that proved the resurrection Marshall said what was it it's well for us to remember that the stone was rolled away from the door not so Christ could come out but so the disciples could enter the tomb and notice when they saw the linen cloths lying not unwound and carefully folded as some people seem to think Not thrown aside like when someone arises out of bed and pushes the cover back, but lying there on the stone slab in the shape of the body. True, the napkin had been removed and folded, but the grave clothes were there, mute but eloquent evidence that a living organism had come out. The grave clothes lay like the shriveled, cracked shell of a cocoon, left behind when the moth has 
emerged and hoisted her bright sails in the sunshine. Or more accurately, like a glove from which the hand has been removed, but it retains its shape. In that manner, the grave clothes were lying collapsed a little between the folds simply because of the weight of the spices. But there weighed the linen cloth that had been wound around the body of Christ. And when they saw this, they believed. The Greek word here for see, theory, is not to behold as one looks at a spectacle, not to see as the watchmaker who peers through his magnifying glass. It means to see with light that leads one to a conclusion. It is reception, perception, reflection, understanding more than sight. Do you see, Marshall asks us? It is to see as one who reasons from the effect back to the cause. And when John and Peter reasoned from what they saw in the tomb, they arrived at the conclusion, the unshakable, the unassailable certain conviction that Jesus had risen from the dead. And those were his words. But then I started wondering, what if Thomas had been the one to go to the tomb that morning and had seen only the grave clothes? Would he have believed or would he still have needed to see and maybe to touch Jesus. The apostle Paul, whose claim to apostleship was that he had seen the risen Lord on his Damascus Road experience, Paul was writing to the church at Corinth when he said, for we walk by faith, not by sight. But faith is sight, isn't it? Sight to see things as they really are, things that we might have missed otherwise things that we sometimes see but we don't really see and we don't really comprehend maybe we should only believe half of what we see with these eyes or less but rest assured we can believe everything we see with these eyes with the eyes of our heart with the eyes of faith acts chapter 1 verses 21 and 22 So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the time of Jesus' baptism until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to the resurrection. And that's a curious expression, isn't it? A witness to the resurrection. Nobody saw that. An angel, perhaps, no human. What did the apostles mean claiming to be witnesses to the resurrection? They weren't in that tomb when it happened. Can you imagine what that would have been like when breath first came back to that corpse, when there was that first barely noticeable movement? Maybe they were referring to having seen the risen Christ, witnesses to the resurrection. Maybe they were talking about being witnesses to his Power unstoppable and turned loose in the world. Maybe they were talking about seeing the resurrection and all that it meant through the eyes of the heart. Not so much our other eyes. Let's go back to the house now. The house with locked doors where the apostles are hiding out. Thomas has returned. He's with them on that second gathering. And he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus, and it's it's so overwhelming, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? 
Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet believe. Thomas was called the twin. I wonder whose twin brother he was. If we look at things through these eyes, through our physical eyes only, maybe Thomas is our twin brother. But if we are looking at things through the eyes of faith, then maybe we are among those whom Jesus called blessed. Those who have not seen and yet believe. Those who have seen not with these eyes, but with these eyes, the eyes of the heart. Those who have become, in our time, witnesses to the resurrection. Now, initially I thought when I was preparing that this would be a good place for this sermon to land. In four plus decades of doing what I do, I've had some crash landings. Some of you may have been ear witnesses to some of those failed attempts. But something kept telling me that I needed to go on a little bit further before I I put this thing on the ground, before I land it. Asking me if I really wanted to claim Thomas as my twin. Did I really want to have my eyes of faith open? What are the implications? What does that mean for me and, and for you? What might that cause us to see in a new way? Or what might we see for the very first time when the eyes of our heart are opened? What if? What if we began to see ourselves as others see us? To roughly and loosely quote the poet, Oh, would some power the gift give us to see ourselves as others see us? Would we be happy with what we saw? Sometimes we fool ourselves. We think of ourselves in one way, all positive, all good. But an honest look at ourselves might lead us to want to put ourselves in self-storage for a while. The risen Christ stands ready to help us change in ways where we might be pleased, where he might be pleased with what he sees. Such change is seldom, if ever, painless. Are we certain that we want to have our eyes, the eyes of our heart, open in this new way? And what if we began to see so much more the pain and the heartache in this world where our, when our eyes of faith are wider open than before, some things are hard to look on. I know I refuse to watch or listen when those commercials come on television from the ASPCA or the Humane Society with a herd and abandoned and abused dogs. I have to walk away. I have to turn away. It makes my eyes hurt. It makes my heart hurt. And as much as I love animals, what about the hurting people that I sometimes overlook in this world? Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or in prison? Just the other day, I was reading an article about this doubting Thomas and Jesus post-resurrection episode, our story for today. And the writer said, Thomas asked to get his hands dirty in the flesh of Jesus before he'll believe that here is the resurrected one. We need to sink our hands, he said, into the woundedness of today's world. But first, we need to see that woundedness. And what if, 
we began to see the hearts of others, not just their outward appearances. The Old Testament reminds us very clearly that mortals, human beings, look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. How often do we pass judgment with no real internal evidence? Tuesday morning this week past, Mickey and I were in Kroger. It was early in the morning. We were there at that time sort of reserved for senior citizens, and I'm surprised they didn't card us. I mean, we look so young. But while we were there, I was socially distancing from a man in the bread aisle, and he was picking up seven or eight loaves of the same kind of bread. wasn't even the kind of bread we buy, so I don't know why it bothered me. But I was playing the judgment card thinking, well, here's one of those hoarders we keep hearing about. Later, I was convicted with this thought. What if he were shopping for a large family or friends? What if he was buying enough for some shut-ins in his neighborhood? I could not see his heart. To see ourselves, to see the heartbreak around us, to see the heart of others, Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see what Jesus sees. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Amen.